welcome to the Halliday Wine Companion Podcast. This is our space to chat about wine without all the fluff, from how to taste and describe it to how to pair it to that dinner party you're hosting next weekend. We'll be chatting to industry professionals from across the country, tackling all things wine from a palatable perspective. I'm Tom Carr, your host, and I'm part of the team here at Halliday, and this is By the Glass. So this is exciting. This is our very first episode of By the Glass. Uh, And we've got so many fabulous guests lined up for you over the coming weeks and months, presumably. Um, And I'm looking forward to expanding my own knowledge in wine alongside uh, all of you at home. So this is how it will roll each week. Uh, We'll be tackling various areas of interest chatting to people from all walks of life. So perhaps you're new to wine or, you know, you're wanting to learn more about wine, wherever you're at in this journey, um, this first ep is all about laying a strong foundation. Uh, So who better to talk to than uh, sommelier Penny Vine? Um, Now for a bit of background, uh, Penny runs the wine list at Melbourne Institution Cutler & Co., which, if you don't know, is a fabulous restaurant on Gertrude Street in Fitzroy, Melbourne. Anyway, let's cut to the chase and kick things off. Please welcome Penny. Hi. Hi, Dal. How are you today? <laughs> I'm pretty good. We've had a couple of glasses already. I am feeling good. <laughs> We're actually, Penny brought along a beautiful bottle. Pen, what did you bring along today? Well, I wanted to bring something that was a bit uh, left of centre um, but also just really delicious for a afternoon drink. So I brought a, a Sauvignon Blanc Semillon blend from winemaker Belinda Thompson, who makes wine for Crawford River. And this was a bit of an accidental wine. She had a couple of barrels that grew a bit of a floor yeast, which is this uh, funky little yeast that grows on the top layer in the barrels. Sounds awful. Every now and then, and it does. Yeah, <laughs> and you're kind of like, well, that's that's not great. But it has this wonderful. Uh, or can have a really lovely effect on the changing of the structure of the wine. And this is a Sauvignon Semillon unlike any other that we had seen. And I was really blown away by this no addition, super out of the blue, accidental, rich and creamy Sauvignon Semillon from Western Victoria from Henty. So good. And I reckon um – and I can attest to that it is rather yummy. <laughs> and I reckon actually we might pop it up on the website so people um, can check out the label yeah, sure. online to see what we're drinking. So, Penn, let's kick it off. You're obviously going to be the most important person we speak, speak oh, to. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, uh, uh, Penn, I want to um, ask you, tell us a little bit about your pathway into wine. Yeah, for sure. I mean... I, you know, I came pretty late to wine in my life. My parents didn't drink wine. They didn't really drink, actually. Well, Dad, you know, he had a laundry full of VBs and <laughs> mum, mum, mum would have a West Coast cooler or a Malibu and pineapple on a special occasion. So it wasn't really like... Remember West Coast coolers? <laughs> no, they were so actually great. They were great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that was my uh, childhood and we lived in the Yarra. Like I, w- I lived in Lilydale and I had no idea 
that this was in my backyard or around the corner. Nothing, no idea until um, working in hospitality, you know, from cafes to pubs to finally some really great restaurants um, and realising, oh, yeah, this is a whole world that I didn't know existed um, and I'm absolutely addicted to it. So mostly for me it was about people. It was about working in places with people that showed me it was a path that was even possible. It took a bit of convincing. <laughs> but, you know. A few glasses. A few glasses of convincing and, and a few just, – just some really um, inspirational people or people that I really connected to. So thought, you know, I, I could drink wine and serve it and continue to learn as well, you know. Yeah. There's an unstoppable amount of, of learning that you can do, which is why oh. that's motivational to me. Yeah, oh, abs- <laughs> absolutely. We were actually just having a little chat off air before we kicked into it and I was just saying to Penny, like, you know, just the, the sheer amount of knowledge um, sommeliers uh, must retain in their, their, <laughs> their heads is extraordinary. So... Pen, let's kick it off. So we're going to lay a really strong foundation for listeners at home. Um, so, okay, uh, let's use myself as the person you're educating today. Yeah. So, Pen, I'll, I'll give it my best. Shot. <laughs> Thank you. I don't mean to place pressure on you, but I am. Um, Pen, so I'm interested in wine, and I want to know more about wine. Where do I start? For me. It's just about drinking it, you know. Like, I, know <laughs> that's that's, I know that seems really obvious, but we get so many young waiters and food runners and chefs even that, that come to work for us or with us. And even my friends and, and that work in other industries will say, you know, I really want to learn. Like, what do I do? And I'm like, well, you have to genuinely – taste and drink often and widely you have to do that you have to put yourself in positions and in situations where you're not just drinking the same thing all the time don't go to your go-to's when you know you you love chardonnay and you always drink chardonnay like make sure you push yourself to to taste and drink and actually it, it is just about drinking the wine <laughs> so that was the very first thing that I always tell people you can't just expect the knowledge to come from without it has to come from you pushing it from within so putting yourself in situations physically like having dinner parties with your friends where you all buy a bottle and you make sure you don't have the same kind and you actually write notes about it and taste and discuss and go to the trade days and go to the cellar door tasting events and Go to the big releases that the retailers do and ask questions of those people. Like physically putting yourself in those places uh, I think is really important. Um, I remember the first tasting that I went to. It was a trade day that they have these big tastings for people in the trade but they often will have one for the general public and then one for trade and they're all the same wines are on show. So you, you, you're getting access to the same wines. And the first one I ever went to was just – it was overwhelming, but it was so amazing because you just think you've got a handle on the six varieties that you usually drink and then you see that there's 45,000 other things that you could be putting <laughs> in your mouth. So making yourself go and taste constantly um, is, is really important. It's not just about learning what's on a page. You have to be able to have a practical 
connection to something tangible in your glass. So drinking is pretty important. <laughs> so, 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 so stuff that we could do at home, yeah. right? You obviously mentioned uh, um, dinner parties. Yeah. So do you think that people should perhaps focus on a – a country or a region first or do you think people should like maybe focus on a varietal like Pinot Noir and try Pinot Noir from various regions? Various regions, yeah. So there's definitely two different um, avenues you could take there. We, you know, when, whenever we have a, a, a BYO dinner where there's always some kind of theme and it's usually, you know, a lot of it's based around the food but, you know, maybe we will have a single variety that we're exploring and everybody will bring one from a different place. So that's a really good idea but I also really – am attached to geography and it's actually one of the reasons that this industry appealed to me because you know geography and history are pretty much what make wine what it is and so we would do a lot of um region themed kind of things and and you can even start with your own backyard like I started and was most interested in learning about Victorian wine particularly because I knew the I knew the towns you know I knew the place I, I'd been there on holiday with my family when I was kids when I was a kid so looking around and going okay cool we're going to see what we've got in the northeast of Victoria and you go all of a sudden you're looking at seven different Rutherglen fortifies that you, <laughs> you were like what sorry what that's that's just up the road I, I used to go to you know Beechworth on holiday and we'd had no idea that this was around. So I think like knowing, starting with um, physical places that you know and familiar and are familiar with, like yeah, right. that was really important for me. I, I, I spent a lot of time when I very first started working in restaurants, looking at the like maps on maps on maps, particularly uh, of Victoria and then Australia, and then without further beyond that, um, because yeah, start with what you know. And, 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 and I, suppose it, I suppose it pr- um, provides a bit of context, right? Because um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Because you, you've, you've driven down that road. Yeah. Or like you've got a mate that lives in the Yarra, you know. Yeah. And it's 45 minutes away. For us, it's really great. We're really lucky here because there's so many places that you can you can take a day trip. You can go to the cellar door of your favourite winery in the Mornington or Yarra or Macedon because it's actually physically accessible to you. So, so lucky. So, I always, like utilise that if you can, for sure. So obviously we're saying, you know, start hosting dinner parties with your friends, um, pick a varietal or pick a region, yeah. get everyone to bring a wine, yeah. start tasting together. Yeah. Um, how about things around, uh, I mean, obviously you work at a restaurant, which <laughs> a beautiful one if you haven't been, um, a restaurant where um, sommeliers are <laughs> present, <laughs> as we just quietly die in the corner there, <laughs> um, with sommeliers are present. Like, so what do you say to people like maybe d- should we attend bottle-o's? What sort of questions should we ask? Should we attend restaurants? You yeah, know? that's all about being in that physical space. Go to the restaurants and to the bottle shops and to the wine bars that have access to things that you don't have in your fridge and ask questions of the people <laughs> you know. Just know a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you're anything like me, it's hard to keep them in the fridge. They dim- disappear very quickly. <laughs> but, yeah, ask questions. Like, it's, it's literally my job to answer your questions when you come into the restaurant. <laughs> so, and not just me, you know, we, we have an amazing, diverse industry of professionals across a lot of different platforms, whether it's in the retail space or in the restaurants or in – separate 
education facilities. You can go and do courses and things. But, you know, asking the right questions of the SOM and the guy at the wine shop, really easy. Just tell me more about this wine. I like this X, Y, Z. Will I like it? And then why? It's really about pushing that curiosity, not just what is it, but why is it like that? Why does it taste like that? Because then you can start to build a network of information in your mind that will direct you to the right things when you're trying to make those decisions on your own. Because obviously wine can be so intimidating. Yeah. Like, uh, and, and you're in a restaurant, so you're in a beautiful restaurant like Cutler & Co, and you have a, a sommelier like yourself who's very knowledgeable and you do feel intimidated. You do think, oh, I should know what I'm talking about, but I don't, so maybe I'll try and pretend like I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, what do you say to those people? Yeah, well, part of our job is, is really um, learning – what people really mean when they say one thing, but they might mean something else. So, I mean, I, I would say don't be intimidated. Like I work really hard to be not that suit-wearing, unapproachable, <laughs> condescending <laughs> person. And, and I think that like across the board, that guy doesn't really exist anymore. Like he's not – well, maybe somewhere, but the people that I know and that I work with don't – like really try to avoid that. And I think the younger generation as well, you know, I don't know if I get to count myself in that still. Maybe, <laughs> maybe like I'm on the cusp. <laughs> but we, it's, there is a definite relaxing of, of, of wine in general and how we talk about it is no longer locked up behind a big solid gate. You know, it's, it's, it's out there for everybody to taste and talk about and see. So please don't feel intimidated and 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 like I said it's our job to answer the questions and and use the words that you have and the more you talk about it with somebody the more that language just becomes part and parcel of your own lexicon like you're never gonna learn the words that you need to describe the wine the way you want to if you don't start talking to people that do and ask those questions ask me what I mean when I say oh yeah it's got really fine grainy tannins. If you don't know what that means, ask me what that means. Or if at the bottle shop you're looking for a big, rich, oaky Chardonnay, but maybe you don't know that the reason it tastes like that is because it has a lot of time in oak, use the words that you have and that person who works there, they are armed with the skills to be able to decipher that and then speak it back to you in the language that you're looking to learn. So, yeah, I I would just say use what you have, Ask as many questions as you can and please don't feel intimidated. Please. (laughs) And let me say, she's not that intimidating in real life. So we're she's she's five foot three and she's she's very giggly. It's fine. (laughs) So you're saying like and and also just don't pretend to be anything you're not. Like Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Because that just like that puts you in a worse position because you're not gonna be able to get the answer or the information that you really want someone's going to assume the wrong thing and then you're just going to be like, what, what did they just say? Like, I thought I said this. No. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, be, just be honest. Totally. And, and how about like books and or readings and courses? Like are, are there things also that you recommend if someone's wanting just a little bit more knowledge that they. Oh yeah, for sure. So there's like only so much you can learn just by drinking every day (laughs) (laughs) and you can learn plenty by doing that you can do that (laughs) um but you know making that taking that step from um just participating through consumption and then 
every day going, okay, what did I drink? I want to learn more about that and taking the time to push yourself to learn the theory behind it. Uh, I think it's so, so, so important. And even on like a very basic level, like we were talking before, I was telling you about when I first started um, at uh, one of my first restaurant jobs and we had a muscadet on by the glass and it was 2010 muscadet Sevetman Vie Vignet Surly. And that's what it said on the list. And I was thinking about the guest and myself because I had no idea what any of the words meant. I was like <laughs> every single word in that in the name of that wine is a mystery to me. So I was like, if I don't know and I work here, how the hell is so-and-so on table 75 going to know? Like, So I just went home and I, I made myself learn. I, I researched every single word. I found out from that one, researching that one wine, I learned that there are not just regions, but there's appellations and sub-appellations. I learned that vine age is a huge consideration. I learned that yeast cells die and they have a huge effect on how the wine looks in the glass. Like just from those, that one wine, I learned about five different things about the world of wine. And that was just from pushing myself to do some research on one wine. So yeah. taking the time to, to do the theoretical learning, I think is really important. I um, was really lucky. I did WSET, which you are now. Yes. This student. Tonight. <laughs> Although, you know, I may pronounce it wrong. I went in and, uh, I, said, <laughs> and I said to Betty, I'm doing the West set. And she goes, no, 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 babe, you're not doing the West. <laughs> She's like, you're doing the WSET. And I went, okay, all right, no worries. <laughs> yeah, we like uh, precise language in this industry, if you haven't figured that out already. We like to say the right thing at the right time. Um, um, but I am starting that tonight, actually. <laughs> so, you know, I'll be across it. <laughs> um, yeah, which, is, um, which was amazing. I, I was really lucky to do that with uh, our company that I work for and with Leanne Altman, who is just amazing and she um, really pushed us not just to read the content of the course uh, which anyone could do like level two anyone could do for sure like you could just be a taxi driver and you could do WSET level two and Mm. it would be beneficial to you it would be really interesting and she pushed us not to just take the content of the course but then to apply it to everything we drank all the time and hardwire your brain to use the theoretical knowledge that you learn in that course or any other course that you might do and associate it to what you do in your everyday job, which was so lucky to be able to have that, that skill. Um, and I also go, I went to like my first week working at Marion. Um, I went to books for cooks in the city, which is this amazing bookshop. And the man that works there, I think you might own it as well. He just directed me to this one little section of the shop and there's just like wall to ceiling wine books. And he was like, so what do you, what's, what's your deal? <laughs> I was like, well, I, I like just got drink. this job <laughs> and I don't really know much, but I really want to know more. So give me some stuff. And he was like, cool, this book, this book, this book. And it was um, Oxford Companion to Wine was the Mm. first one, obviously. And then there was an an amazing one, Max Allen's Australian History of Wine, which sounds really drab but was so interesting. And, like, again, you can really connect it to your own personal experience because, you you know, you live here maybe Mm. and you can read about places that you've been. And and so that was really, really cool. I liked that a lot. And then um, there was one that was just a real – 
prose written telling of one year of someone living and working in a vineyard. And so there are these books that are, you know, they're not reference books exclusively. Like you can read them as you would any other book and, and they can really impart a lot of knowledge. Um, so that, that I would highly recommend going to your local bookseller and hopefully he's as awesome as the guy that gave me those three <laughs> books. <laughs> and and so so before we head on to the next lot of questions, so you've said all this, we've, we've started, we're getting out there, we're asking questions, we're going to our local bottle we're going to restaurants, we're chatting with a sommelier um, and we want to start building a bit of a collection at home, mm. right? Where's the best place to start when it comes to buying wine yep. and building up your own collection at home? Yeah, so that's – I think for me it was uh, – the first thing I ever did was I started a little deal with myself where I would buy, you know, one for me and one to drink and then one to keep. So it was like – just getting over the threshold of not really having anything and just doing it by buying something to drink and something to put away. And once you've got that little teeny tiny couple of dozen, and then it becomes much easier to, you know, not accidentally drink them. (laughs) You just want to, you just want to get it bigger and bigger and bigger. So um, I think learning the retailers that um, have the things that you like, is really great and signing up for their newsletters and actually reading the newsletters from the retailers as well. Um, And then you kind of get to learn the seasonality of the releases and you can go, oh, it's it's almost Barola release time and you can put put aside a little money for that when that comes out every year. So, uh, yeah, just uh, as soon as you've got a little teeny tiny amount just from buying a few things that you're also drinking but then you're putting some away – It'll just become easier and easier to to grow it. Because I hear what you're saying, and I and I think I've I've often made that error where uh, I've gone to a winery and maybe just bought one yeah, bottle of something, yeah, yeah, and then because with a lot of wines, um, a little bit of age can totally change the yeah, and you know sometimes for better, sometimes for worse, but like you don't know until you give it the time. So yeah, I, I always like to buy a few, and then you kind of. In a perfect world, cool, you'd buy six bottles of everything you bought. But like, you know, that's that's not really for most of us. For those that might be under 40, that might not be possible. So, you know, at least a couple. So you, particularly if things that you know already really like. Mm. Yeah, totally. Put yeah, don't yeah. Wineries for sure, because at the cellar door, the prices are amazing. Yeah. And you can actually get a good little selection to take and put and just you know put some away for yeah 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 who so, knows how long you know. so so the answer to that question is never just buy one <laughs> exactly uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and so how so at home maybe i don't have a flash wine fridge yeah. i don't have an underground cellar god yeah. forbid in our generation <laughs> how do i store my wine. Yeah, so that's – I mean, it's huge. Like Again, perfect world. You can buy six-packs and you can put them in your Eurocarve that you've got <laughs> at your front door. <laughs> yeah, not not everybody's reality. Um, so I always kind of – you know, the most important things are dark, somewhere dark, and consistent temperature. Like maybe, you know, not anywhere near a heater, like and not on top of your fridge. Like, come on, guys, you know. Come on. 
<laughs> so somewhere consistent temperature and, and preferably cooler um, is is super important. And remember, like cardboard is actually a pretty good insulator. So like leave them in the boxes if they come in boxes because that'll help to, to insulate inside and it'll also help for keeping the light out. Um, presently, yes, I've got a small selection Obviously, in their very nice temperature-controlled, humidity-controlled <laughs> small area. Um, but, yeah, then there's a whole bunch that is uh, wrapped up in cardboard in the bottom of my closet. So, like, um, you know, it's fine. And I'm hello. just looking at your little collection of boxes I here behind you as well. I just went to Curly Flat the other day. I, um, I, I'm still cardboard box. Well, we don't have the space, so I'm, yeah. like, pulling out of my pantry at the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shocking. And also, Pen, one thing which I know you'll have an opinion on because I have a conniption when I go to someone's house and they have a corked wine standing upright. Yeah, so it's I mean, champagne. It's definitely preferable. Lying down is definitely preferable. Like, there's, it's certainly the most well-rounded way to to store your wine. Like, it, you you want to reduce the ability for oxygen to enter at all. So in a, with a cork with a cork bottle there is the chance for oxygen ingress if you've got that little space of air in contact with the cork. And lying it down kind of eliminates that and keeps the cork moist as well. Does that Yeah, does that which play can help with expansion. I mean there's you know there's a there's a whole huge amount of debate and uh, opinion and information about that. But you're not hurting yourself at all by making sure that you keep it lying down because you know you're not going to do any damage and you're definitely playing the odds that you're going to keep it in a better condition if you're keeping it lying down, for so, sure. So in an ideal world, you'd have it a corked one on its side where, yeah, where a screw top, obviously, can do yeah. whatever you want. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you, yeah, there's definitely less, like, minuscule chance that you've got um, – you've got less room for error, less room for oxygen ingress through a Stelvin than you do with a cork across the board. What's Stelvin? Sorry, Stelvin's, st- Stelvin's <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the main brand of screw caps. Oh, yeah. okay. You know, like you would say like a, a Kleenex or a Xerox. <laughs> you know, like a Stelvin. Yeah, or a yeah. West Coast or a – no. <laughs> yes, absolutely. The old coolers. So good. Um <laughs> So um, let's talk about serving wine. So we've said that we'd have a dinner party with friends. Yeah. Um, uh, so as far as like what temperature to serve wines at, chat, chat to me about that. Yeah, totally. So um, I think, you know, we've historically in Australia particularly had a tendency to serve our reds, you know, well, they have to be at room temperature. Okay, well, what if the room is 35 degrees? You know, maybe that's not ideal. <laughs> Thanks, Australia. So... <laughs> Um, ideally for red, you know, there's also some room for discussion within the very large red category. (laughs) Um, but, uh, you know, you're looking at about 15, 16 degrees probably at, at its nicest. Um, but that's, you know, there's also a lot of personal preference involved in that. Like a lot of people have, are used to drinking reds a lot warmer than that. And so probably that might seem a little cold for them but to be able to give the wine the opportunity to stay in its intended condition and then also possibly change temperature slightly in the glass you're also allowing yourself a bit of opportunity to see some evolution which I think is also really important and then for whites you know 
particularly aromatic whites and sparkling wine, yeah, the colder the better. Great, of course. You want it cold as cold. <laughs> Get it in your fridge. <laughs> Don't be pulling that champagne out to breathe in the nice 25-degree <laughs> afternoon. No, keep it in the fridge, absolutely. I mean, you know, depending on what kind of champagne you're drinking, again, that's a pretty big category. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, for, for some fuller whites, you know, you might want to have them a little bit warmer. You might want to have them at 8 to 10 to 12 degrees. When you say fuller whites, you Yeah, so like- fuller-bodied, yeah. yeah. So things that have a bit more weight um, can – withstand and often look a bit better a little bit warmer but when you've got something that's really light and really high acidity and super aromatic that cooler temperature of about five to six degrees can help to keep those fresh fruit aromas really at the forefront yeah and the warmer that gets the less appealing they can see or up here, <laughs> and, so, and and so when you're like so when you're talking about full-bodied whites, you'd be talking like say a Chardonnay, for yeah, instance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And even this, you know, this funky little number that we've mm. got, it's kind of nice, a little bit warmer because that texture and that weight and that like very creamy palate shape is um, would be a bit lost if it was super cold. Yeah, yeah. So I think. Um, and also, and also, probably personal preference, like yeah, playing around. Totally, totally. And I really like to always, you know, I'll, I try to have something at the temperature I want it to start, and then I won't re-refrigerate it. You know, you want to see what happens as, as it, it warms up a little bit. And because if you remove that from your drinking journey. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you don't know what you're missing out on. You know, you might be missing out on something. And can I ask, um, because I think there's a, there's a lot of conversation around uh, the refrigeration mm. or, or, or you know, let's say refrigeration of red wines. Yeah, right? chilled reds, all the rage. Okay. <laughs> 21, 2020, 2021. Chilled red section on our list went from like one wine to about 10. It was super all the rage, yeah. Wow. And, okay, but please tell me, I've heard of people that put ice cubes in their wine. Do you say apps? (laughs) (laughs) Depends on the wine. (laughs) Maybe I've got a 15% alcohol southern French red and it's 40 degrees outside. Like, hey, I'm going to do what I'm going to (laughs) do. <laughs> no, I look I like for me like yeah, sure. It's not it's about the vessel, the temperature and how you serve it is about being able to drink the wine in the fashion that it was intended to be consumed by the maker and by you know, maybe not having not putting ice cubes in it, you're already you're already <laughs> You're already one step closer to being able to do that. You know, you're doing a bit of a disservice to the maker. But at the same time, like particularly for my job, uh, we are hospitality professionals. And that means, yes, we say yes. So if you want to do that, you do it, man. (laughs) I want you to have – if it's going to help you enjoy the wine, that's – that's for you. Like that wine is yours. You bought it. You're going to drink it. I want you to have it the way that is going to be the most pleasurable to you. That being said, it's not something I would necessarily (laughs) suggest or offer. 
But you ask me for a glass of ice, I'm there, man. I've, th- I've got it for you. I'm and, there. And so I'm really starting to detect that the wine it isn't like don't feel that you necessarily need to conform with wine. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. But I think there's a lot of, you know, particularly when I started out, it, it was really intimidating because there was seemed like all the, there was all these rules. And while there's definitely a long history of etiquette being attached to wine consumption and service and like yeah I like a bit of pageantry you know like who doesn't you know it's fun it's fun get involved but like when people are like oh I couldn't possibly have a white wine after I've had a red wine I'm like why like do it's there's no written rule book that says you can't do that like have your champagne with dessert it'll be amazing like Yes, yeah, so there's, there's so much fewer rules than you my, think there are. I'm, I am a very much a champagne drinker. Yeah, yeah. Champagne and Chardonnay. And I will circumvent back to champagne. 100%. <laughs> it's like having a palate cleanser. It's so good. It's so good to have it at the end of your meal. Actually, we should have a, a, a short little sidetrack. What are your top three varietals? Like my – what I like to drink? Yep. Yeah, it depends on the day, <laughs> but at the moment, let's just say today. Um, right now, I am having a bit of an obsession with Chenin Blanc. Mm. Um, there's, you know, it's it's a it's a wine person's variety because it it can be anything. You know, it can be anything. It can be <laughs> fizzy and dry, but it can be sweet, and it can be it takes on the hand of its maker and its place really well, a little bit like Riesling, which is my other go-to yeah. at the moment, which I'm, you know, if I go to, to a restaurant, those are probably the two sections that I look at first. Yep. Um, and then, yes, I suppose. Say it. Pinot Noir, Pinot oh. Noir, <laughs> Pinot Noir. Like, I know, I know that that's like, it's the thing. It's the number one. It's the page that people open first every time at the moment. Um but uh, you know, there's a reason. You know, it can, it 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 it's can really show you what's special about this little wine world that we love. I look, I I do like a Pinot. Don't get me wrong. But and if you're going to limit me to three, that'll be it. But like, <laughs> I was hoping Chardonnay you'd say is in champagne. there. It's in there, and champagne. They're all. It's all in. There. It's in there. It's Thanks, hard to. Babe. There's not a lot that I don't like. I'm just checking. <laughs> um, and, uh, and and so. Um, another another like um, question for people at home: uh, How to okay? How to preserve wine once it's opened, and how long does a wine typically last mm-hmm. once opened? If you're at home alone, you don't have anyone else. It's Wednesday night. You crack a bottle as you would do. Yeah, midweek. Yeah. How do you preserve it? How long should it last? Um, so hugely depends on the wine. Firstly, um, but you know if we're tr- being as general as we can be, we can look at whites, maybe three days. Mm-hmm. Reds, maybe a week. Yep. Maybe five days is probably six days max. And if they're stored correctly. Exactly. Right. So, you, again, you want to follow the rules of cool and dark and consistent temperature. Like if you've got it out on the bench overnight without a closure in it and then you pop it in the fridge the next day, it's probably not going to taste very good. <laughs> so, like, I like, I'll always, you know, 
we don't, we won't reseal a bottle, but that's, you know, just because we, <laughs> we'd rather finish it in one go. <laughs> but like, if you're going to open something and you know, you're not going to finish it. Yeah, definitely lid back on cork back in straight away. Like the less time oxygen is in that bottle, the better and the less amount of oxygen, the better. Definitely keep your whites in the fridge. Even keep like, you could, you know, there's some school of thought out there about keeping your reds in the fridge overnight once you've opened them. Um, because it's, you know, you, it's a food, it's, you're eating it. It's the same as the food you've got in your fridge. The, the cooler temperature is going to preserve it for longer. So, so make yeah. sure it's well sealed, well sealed, keep that dreaded oxygen out. It's the worst. And, um, and really within a few days. Yeah, totally. I yeah. mean, as again, if you would ever have a bottle sitting around for that long. <laughs> I, in all seriousness, like as if. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of room for, for you know, in between things there. And like there there would be some fuller body reds with higher alcohol. You know, can remember alcohol is a really good preservative. So the higher the alcohol, you've probably got a little bit more time. And things like acidity is a really good preservative. So higher acid wines also, also can last a little bit longer. So, yeah, I mean, it's really... It really depends. And it depends on, on what other kind of preservatives the wine has, has seen as well. But yeah. And so I would like cap it at a week <laughs> across the board. Okay, you've yeah. heard it here first. <laughs> Don't be leaving. Because I, I honestly, but this is the thing though, Penn. I have had conversations with friends over the years who have had a bottle sitting out for two weeks yeah. and they don't know. And you look and go, are you drinking vinegar? What? Yeah, that's that. That one goes in your spaghetti bolognese. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which it's winter at the moment as we're recording this, and so carbs are very much on the horizon. Um, and so, Pen, before we kind of wrap it, because I think that we've had such a good kind of just broad conversation around yeah. um, wine. Um, I wanted to ask you, as a som. What is one of the most left of field pairings <laughs> you've done or come across? Does it have to be wine? No, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say like pale ale and like Doritos, but I oh! won't say that. No. <laughs> oh, sweet. Oh, my gosh. I don't even want to say. <gasps> you scrap that one. You can edit that one. <laughs> That's in the bin. <laughs> Um, I, um, left field for me, you know, is also just finding a left field wine. And we, I've talked about this recently. Um, I had to think about it, doing some stuff for Sommeliers Australia. And I was thinking about Viognier, which, uh, very divisive variety. Um, some love, some hate can be great, can be terrible. Like most things, I suppose. Mm. Um, but we talked about that with like, um, Caprese salad. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. yeah, okay. So tomatoes, hard to pair with, you know, super high acidity, super savoury, super umami. What wine likes all of those things? Most wines live in the fruit world, not in the savoury world. Mm. So to find something that had the ability to go alongside that, yeah, I was like, yeah, Viognier, great, amazing. It's got weight and it's rich and textured and really aromatic at the same time. So you've got this ability to withstand the high acidity of the tomatoes and balance that with yeah. the weight, but then also have enough character to impart some different elements to the dish as well. So that was one that we talked about. And then I also really like, 
<laughs> when you giggle and you just know, you just know. Um, I also really like champagne and chocolate, and um, that might oh. not be too left field, but chocolate's also like the worst. It's there's only a handful of things that you can really pair with it. Particularly if you don't like sweet wine, you know, if you don't like fortified or anything too sweet, champagne, chocolate, just you know, get your block I of Cadbury out <laughs> and your <laughs> glass of really expensive. Blanc de Blanc. Um, I'm glad you said Blanc de Blanc because that is one of my faves. Um, and then lastly, what is a classic wine pairing for you? Classic? Well, I'm going to stick with chocolate and classic is fortified. Like yeah. Rutherglen fortified and, ch- and chocolate, no brainer, everything you want in a food and wine pairing. You want complementary flavours that live in the same world that are going to heighten each other, you know, burnt orange and cacao and coffee and it's a little bit bitter and super sweet mm. against all of that chocolate flavour as well. So you just – you can't go wrong. That's I'm my already, classic already, go-to. I'm already thinking about sweets now. God, yeah. it's like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, yeah. <laughs> Penny Vine, you've been an absolute treat or sweet As we've just finished. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And so if you ever want to meet Penny Vine Mm -hmm. in the flesh, head down to Cutler & Co, (laughs) um, a beautiful restaurant in Fitzroy. And we will obviously be back next week. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us, Penny. And um, we look forward to chatting to you guys next week on By the Glass. 